Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20 20, 20 ready to get 20 20, ready to get 15 15, 15 15, just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, so let's talk about how you become an investor in Bloomy. How does one become an investor? Do I need to be a millionaire? Investing is how we build major wealth. And investing, the reason that people are able to gain so much wealth is because of the value of equity, equity in a home, equity in a startup. Thank you, Obama. He basically allowed a regular person to invest in a startup. You don't have to be an accredited investor, which means if you are able to be accredited, you have, I believe it's a million dollar in assets and make either two to 300,000, depending on your marriage status a year. And I think for a lot of people, that's not attainable, right? And so if you can be accredited, great. But if you can't now people can invest through crowd equity which is when you can invest one to two hundred dollars or more and you basically own a piece or a future piece of that startup the way people can invest in bloomy today is you can invest via wefunder there's a website wefunder.com bloomy you read our story if you're not already hooked on our story and our growth trajectory and you can basically learn about the startup click through all of the different pieces of our deck because this is what other investors are also viewing and you you get to decide what you want to invest. There's also perks if you invest at certain levels. Essentially, you are time stepping an investment. And as we keep growing, you have now invested early. And so if there's, let's just say, an acquisition in the future or something that has a payout, you would be an early stage investor in that company. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. 
Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business, so you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part? I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sazón. So if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. Rebecca, welcome to the podcast. So excited to have you here. I love me some Latina entrepreneurs and you are no exception. So let's start off with an introduction. Tell us who you are and what you do. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. I've been a fan of the podcast and I'm excited to share more. My story is I am Latina. I am a sexologist, mom of two, wife, lots of hats, right? I started an intimacy company and it's been a journey trying to really learn what entrepreneurship means in terms of scaling. That's been a big part of my learning process and my journey. But Bloomy is my company. Bloomy is a sexologist-led intimacy company. We can get into it, but we do sell products that are now at Target and some exciting stores coming soon. So that's what we do. Incredible. Okay. First and foremost, and this is probably a question that a lot of people have, but I also do. What the hell is a sexologist and how does one become one? <laughs> yes. You know, it's not a career that you grow up saying you necessarily necessarily want to be or do because it's so, I would say, different. So a sexologist is somebody that studies human sexuality. And sexologists can do a lot of different types of work. So for me, what I've done is two main things. I started off my career coaching people and couples to help them with whatever their intimacy struggles and goals were. And I also worked as a consultant for companies that were designing intimacy products and needed the correct anatomy, proper testing guidelines, a lot of the just like clinical trial or pilot study information. But a sexologist really is somebody that's going to coach you through and help you accomplish your intimacy goals. It's a little different than sex therapy because sex therapy tends to focus on the past and like really helping you heal through different things. Okay. So you actually studied this in school? Is this a thing? Yes. <laughs> okay. What do you study when you want to become a sexologist? You study human sexuality. And so I have a bachelor's in women's health and sexuality from Berkeley And then I have a master's in human sexuality, and I focused specifically on arousal and pleasure. How does one come to this career choice? Imagine that your Latino parents are like, oh, this sounds like a great career opportunity. Oh my gosh. So that is not what they said at first. But the funny thing is, I just think I have been meant to dive into this space for so many years. When I was growing up, in my family, we did have that one awkward sex talk, and I remember how awkward it felt, especially for my parents. I thought it was kind of funny. 
And then the Latino culture, we don't really talk about our bodies. We don't talk about sex or intimacy, right? You see versions of love, but that's to the extent that I grew up seeing intimacy. And then I also went to a Catholic high school. It was an all-girls Catholic high school on a scholarship. And I was taught abstinence-only education. So my curiosity in realizing that I wasn't getting a lot of information, it kept piling up. And then when I got to campus, when I got to UC Berkeley, it was night and day. They were sex positive. You could take all kinds of field study courses, history, legal, anatomy. And I felt like I was like, wait a minute, this information, I need to get this to a mass audience. Like this is very valuable. You can heal. You can improve your relationships. This is game changing. I have to figure out how to bring this content out to the world. This is incredibly fascinating to me. And especially the fact that a Latina is doing this, because like you mentioned, this is like such a taboo in our culture, right? I think the only sex talk we had in my household was when I got my period, it was the extent of, okay, now you're a woman. Now you can have kids. Don't have sex with anybody ever. It's like, okay, cool. Great talk. And then I think the second time was when my mom found out that me and my first boyfriend were sexually active because she found a condom in my drawer and she just blew up. I was the worst fucking daughter ever. I'm never going to have anybody marry me because now I'm ruined. There's so much trauma that's associated with sex in our culture. And I'm curious, what are some of the most common blocks that you help people with as a sexologist and now as somebody who's providing tools and resources for folks to like take things to the next level? Oh my gosh, there's so many, but I would say that the most common things I've seen in the space, one, I have to help people unlearn a lot and unlearn that you don't have to continue to live your sex life in a way that fits with what you were necessarily taught or the lack of information you were taught, that if you are curious about something that is very healthy and having a healthy relationship, like what that entails, having a healthy sex life, talk about what that means for you. And it doesn't mean like there's a model that will fit each person. The beauty of human sexuality is that it is so fluid and we are so different. There's a spectrum of everything. And so just kind of giving people space to be okay with whatever they're interested in, that like flourishes into so much, right? And then I would say the second thing is really destigmatizing what it means when you have low libido or you're not really in the mood to have sex because it goes hand in hand with the culture that we're living in. Especially here in the US, we work a lot, we have high stress, a lot of us are tired, we have demanding family responsibilities, there's just a lot on our plates. And all of that translates to lowering your libido if you are not intentional about it. So really working with people to naturally boost libido and to get into a good routine, that's another major thing I help people with. Yeah, I feel like our society does not really foster the ability to have really healthy relationships in lots of ways. You know, things like lack of paid maternity leave, lack of parental support when it comes to childcare, the fact that I feel like our society is more and more just the nuclear family versus back in the motherland. The kids were raised by the whole block. Abuela was next door, Tia was here, the cousins were there. And so it puts a lot of strain and stress on couples that are trying to maintain that relationship as a couple while also being parents and workers and siblings and family members and all those things. How does one put boundaries around your life so that you can actually have like a normal, healthy sex life? Seems like impossible. It seems impossible. But what I am so happy to say is that it is very doable. 
And so really, like, if I go back to what I shared before, if people are okay unlearning and saying, hey, I don't know what I don't know right now, but I'm curious, and this is a priority. When you prioritize your intimate life, whether that's for you, yourself, or whether it's you and your partner, that already changes it because you are now, it's at the forefront. And you're going to say, this is important to me because, and I usually can help people list a thousand reasons why it's so important to them. Once you prioritize it, then it's really easy to just put it on the calendar. So for example, a few things that I tell all people they should have on their calendar, especially if you're in a relationship with someone else, a sexual relationship, is fun time. Like, are you having fun? This is not a date. This is not sex. Just fun time. So a few hours, a couple times a week, where you and your partner can have fun, go do something you both can laugh at. Even if it's like, if you enjoy working out with your partner, that's a good example of something you can do together and really build that energy together. And then the next thing you do is you really start to block out the intimacy time. So the date nights, you have to have a date night on the calendar. You have to have sex on the calendar. And a lot of people don't feel comfortable writing, have sex. Because then it's just like, oh God, it's another chore. (laughs) It can feel like it, but here's the thing. When you start having more sex, you start craving more sex. And that's natural. It snowballs either up or down. So much time goes by, or they sleep with the children in the bed. Whatever the circumstances are that just make it hard for you to like, one, be naked, Two, just have that non-distraction time. So then we start to work on like, what is the current lifestyle and what is realistic for you? So if we set a sex night, can you do it at 9 p.m.? Does it need to be Saturday at 6 a.m.? Let's really get real about when we can do this. And if you're both committing, it's actually kind of exciting. You get to see your partner also meet you there. It builds anticipation, which builds arousal, all of that good stuff. And then tools. Like you have to have the right products to support you. Like when we do our hair, for example, we have tools, we have the shampoo, the conditioner, whatever it is you use to style for sex and intimacy, you need tools. So whether that's toys, lubes, arousal products, like having those handy, that's also very healthy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, I think that's also another thing that's very taboo. Like nobody's going to talk about your sex toys unless you have really close groups of friends. Now, There's no limit to like the amount of products that are already on the market, right? All you got to do is do a quick Google search and you just go down a rabbit hole of what's out there. So what did you identify as things that were missing that Bloomy could fill? Okay, great question. I was so surprised when I started doing product research in this space, and this was almost 15 years ago. What I found is that even though there's a lot of products, it's a very saturated market, meaning that there's a lot of options, they are very, very unhealthy products. And the reason that they're unhealthy products, let's just take sex toys, for example. Most sex toys on the market are porous and are made with materials that really should not be touching your intimate skin, which is so stupid because we're using them on and in our body, right? So what I found is that they're being made with these cheap plastic or synthetic materials. And even if something says that it's made with silicone, we don't know what kind of silicone, right? Basically, what I found is that a lot of the products that are being marked as healthy, it's kind of like greenwashing. And this is the same for the liquid products. So lubes, for example, if you look at a typical lube that you can buy at your local grocery store, 
beauty store, convenience store. If you turn it around and you look at the ingredients, I almost guarantee it will have fragrance. It will have glycerin. It will have parabens. It will have things that really should not be in there. And so when I started to see across the board, this is happening because this is such an unregulated space in the United States. This is why we have so many toxic ingredients in these products. I have to make something cleaner and it has to be attainable. It has to be accessible. That's absolutely insane that you say this is an unregulated space because you would think there's so much other stupid shit that gets regulated that doesn't get anywhere close to the level of intimacy that intimate products do, right? And that's really scary, actually. It's really scary. And that's what actually made me really upset because when I was a teenager, I was introduced to feminine sprays. And I was told that you should use feminine sprays by several cousins and friends. If anybody's familiar with these, they basically are like these sprays that are almost like deodorant sprays, but they have tons of fragrance and you put them directly on your vulva skin to smell like what people say or what we think we're supposed to smell like when we're growing up, which is like flowers and whatever. So I found out that was crap. I found out that it had toxic ingredients in there. That is also why a lot of Latinas get these um, cycles of infections. We are more susceptible to infections because our microbiome, like the pH level in our vagina is different than other women's pH levels. So it makes us more susceptible to infections. So if you have irritated skin, if you have yeast infections, BV, any of these things, they probably are being made worse or being caused by your products. That's wild. And my mind is being blown by every second of this conversation. I want to know. So you identify this issue as a sexologist where a lot of these products that are on the market are just freaking terrible. So how does one start a intimate product company? How do you decide to do this? <laughs> okay. So I started Bloomy. Really, it was supposed to be a solution for my clients. So what happens during sexology coaching is you develop these, same way you do in therapy, these long-term relationships and people want the solutions that you all are agreeing could help. And so what I was doing is I was sending my clients links to lubes, links to books, links to arousal products, links to toys, all of these things. And before I knew it, I was like, this is just too many links. It's a lot of repeat work. So I curated my favorite brands to start with. And I had my favorite products that were clean, which were not that many at the time. This is now almost five years ago. And that was game changing for me. Not only did I see there was potential as a business, but I also saw that people were loving how easy it was to shop for what they needed. So fast forward, what I've learned is that when I made my first product, which was Bloomy Arousal Oil, we could not keep that in stock. And I love it to this day. It's one of the best sellers. It has aphrodisiacs in it, especially Damiana, because it's one of the flowers that is an aphrodisiac from like the Mexico Caribbean region. All of these beautiful things in the product sell really well. And I know that it works. We tested it. We know that it's a very effective product. Once I saw how effective that was, my mind kind of moved more into maybe I need to focus more on our products versus curating products. And a lot went into that. There was a lot of decision making behind that. But that's when I decided to raise capital, which we could talk about. But I looked at the options and I made the decision that in order to do what I wanted to do, the way I wanted to do it, I was going to have to raise capital. That's kind of how this journey started of us growing faster. Okay. So you have your first homegrown product. You realize you need to scale. You need venture capital. And that's also why I wanted to bring you on the show because you're in an active fundraising period. And we want to let folks know how we can support you as a Latina because you're one of the few Latinas who's raised over a million dollars in venture capital, which 
if you know the statistics around VC funding, it's terrible for people of color and especially women of color. So how does one even begin that journey of seeking venture capital when you know those odds are stacked against you? How did you have the confidence to even raise a million dollars? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Oh my gosh. So today it's actually a little over 2 million now. And what I can share is I know, and I talk to a lot of founders about this, I know that venture is not the only way to grow your business. And I know that venture is not the right way to grow your business for a lot of businesses. But because I had been immersed in the startup ecosystem, I'm from the Bay Area, I worked with several startups, I saw how equity changed people's lives. I knew what it took to scale at the time. That's what I wanted to do for this company. When I made the decision, I became obsessed with what do I need to do to raise this capital? What do I need to do to take the company from A to B? And so in the startup world, we have these stages, angel, pre-seed, seed, series A, and beyond. And I knew that in order to get from one step to the other, I was going to need resources and I was going to need to hit certain milestones. So that's what's really been my guide. And I usually talk to founders that are one step or two steps in front, meaning like they have done seed, they have done series A. And I really just became clear on what I needed to do. The actual execution of this was a little bit different than what I saw happen. Normally, I would see teams go out and they come back one or two months later and they've raised $15 million or whatever it is. So it is true. As a person of color, it is harder to raise capital, but it's definitely doable if you don't give up and if you continue to just push through and pivot in the right way. So I did fundraising boot camps. I took business classes at Stanford. I immersed myself in the startup language because this is a different language that you speak when you're talking to venture capitalists. And they will know if you are not from the same lingo, the same space, which isn't necessarily bad, but it doesn't help you. And so when I started raising, I raised an angel round. A lot of people will call that friends and family. And I will say I am lucky where I have family and friends that can contribute some, but not in the way that we see other angel rounds, right? So I raised from a few angels. That's how I got started. I used that capital to really prove out that the first product could scale. And then I raised a pre-seed round of a little over a million so that we could create the entire line that I wanted to launch with, which is pretty much unheard of. For someone to create an entire line and launch in over a thousand stores with a million dollars, people would tell you it's impossible just because of the cost of logistics. But we did it because we did that. We did crowd equity and personal lines of credit, personal loans, you name it. I have looked into it. We made it work. So I want to dive into a couple questions. The angel investor round, who was the first person to invest in your company? Me and my husband, we were the first investors. And then I would say we had small checks from family members. So parents, brother, Theas. And then when it started to grow beyond needing that, it was sponsors that I've had through my life, people who have supported me through 
different phases. The private scholarship that I mentioned to high school, she supported me again, and she's literally an angel to me. And then I also pitched people I didn't know. It can't just come from my network. And I had Fab Ventures come in. Odio, who was the former CEO of Lancome. So I appreciate that she believed in me early on. She saw me speak at an event. And if you see me speak at an event, I can kill it with whatever content is coming up. If it's about sex, book me. But basically, I think that's how a lot of investors invested in me, actually. Yeah, it's the power of that network, y'all. You do not know who is actually going to be in your corner if you don't ask. So I think that's the biggest block of just thinking, well, maybe this person's not going to be interested or maybe they're not going to get. No, you got to reach out to everybody because I'm sure for every 10 no's, you got one yes. And that's just how things start. Oh my gosh. So many. I would say for every 50 to 75 no's, you get a yes. And even those yeses might turn into maybes if you don't close it correctly. I also had angel groups. So like Pipeline Angels, I highly recommend founders look into them. Amazing group of women basically that write small checks and come together. We've had a few angel networks come in like that. Amazing. Okay. And let's talk about the million dollar product launch, right? Because you mentioned y'all got scrappy. What are some tips that you have for entrepreneurs who are like, yeah, my cash flow is limited here. I got to make some shit happen. How did you keep your costs down? Okay. So a few things. One, I would say the planning is key. The operations is key. Your business can die if you don't execute correctly with operations. So having the right partners, whether that's a broker, logistics, drop shipping, whatever that is, you have to have the right partner. And so for me, I knew I want to go into Target. I'm going to pitch Target. And we ended up getting into Target, but it took a lot of preparation. To get the meeting took a lot of preparation. I would say having the right consultants and experts on my side was key. So I was very, again, obsessed. And I've heard a lot of the people on your show talk about this. When we are going after a business idea, you consume yourself in getting to the goal. And I think we just have that aspect of our personality. So having the right people, and in terms of the actual expenses, what I would say is we had the plan on how we were going to spend it. We knew what we needed to bring in. And as the money was coming in, we were executing on those things. So for example, we needed to order, I'm just going to make up the number, but it was somewhere like 200,000 products. That's what we needed to buy in the first round. So we split that up and we had product that was going in in different phases in order for us to launch on time. And also when you look at the runs, it was almost mind blowing to see, but if you ordered twice as much of the same product, it brought down your margins so much. So in some cases, we had to order way above what we wanted because we knew that we were going to, one, reorder it again in like two months, and we wanted to make sure that we could keep costs down. So it's expensive to do small runs. So we didn't do anything that was small runs, even with our packaging. We did all of our branding ourselves in-house. We didn't outsource that. Anything we could do as a team, we just agreed. Let's call a meeting so we can talk about the branding on the shelf. Do we love this? Yes or no? And that was a whole process because we ended up saying no the day before printing and we redid it. And it's okay because it worked out and people love the branding. But that kind of stuff, even if we're not branding experts, we have the expertise as a collective and we can see what's working and we can see what we want to do differently. So that kind of stuff. Yeah. Let's talk about putting together the right team because that can make or break you as a business. How many of these experts did you just have in your back pocket or did you just find them on LinkedIn? <laughs> to start, I had none, but I feel like I had a baby network, I call it, where my baby network was willing to make introductions for me. And then it was up to me to really bring them on my side and convince them. So as a founder, I think this is what makes a good founder or an excellent founder. It's like, can you 
convince someone to join your team, even if it's not a full-time position, I feel like people can sense my genuine excitement and love and grit for this. And they're like, okay, how can I help you? A lot of people do want to help me, I will say. So what I did is I started with a target expert, somebody that has the expertise in target, somebody that can tell me how it's going to work to get in. And really, then it's like a game of how can you get yourself ready? How can you approach the buyer? Do you know the timing to approach the buyer? Is your deck ready to approach the buyer? And if they say, yes, they want all the products that you're pitching, can you make them? All of that prep work, I think, took the most time. The meeting, when we actually pitched Target, I think I've only had maybe three or four meetings in my life. To me, I'm like, this has to work. So I'm like on in a different way. Afterwards, I felt so sick to my stomach, but I just know that went well. I know I prepared, right? So getting the target expert. And then I would say bringing on marketing and ops. You have to have super strong marketing and ops if you're going to go into CPG. Let's talk target, right? Because as an entrepreneur, not only do we have to figure out the right product to sell, but we have to figure out the right marketplace, the right customers. So what made you go with target? Okay. So for me growing up, target was my store. You could go grocery shopping, you could buy the toy, you could buy the gift, you could buy the comfort thing, whatever it is. I just have always had a positive association with Target. And when I ask friends and family, same, right? When I did research on who's shopping at Target, I was like, this is the group I want to reach. This is my community. This is what I would like to do in the future. I would like to have a line in Target. I said this before I started the company because I feel like that's where my crew is shopping. And what I found is when I did research, there's such a big gap in terms of sexual wellness products, plant-based, healthy sexual wellness products. Even today, if you go, Bloomy is one of the only brands there that's plant-based. And so what I would say is it was just a matter of like finding the right time and the right time for me came after I saw that people were loving our products and were asking for more. However, the first product I launched was at the time $64 for a bottle and they were asking when I was going to make something that was more accessible or smaller or something. And so for me, I knew that it was going to take a lot of work to bring down the pricing but we were able to do it by reformulating. And for me, Target was like, I've just kind of known in my gut that's what was going to work. And then it was validated once I got into the research and I started talking with experts that are buyers and merchandising. And they were basically saying, if you go Target, this is what the path is for the company. Is this what you want? I was like, yeah, that's what I want. Your story sounds incredibly smooth sailing. Has it always been? What's the biggest issue that you had? You're like, oh my God, why am I doing this? No, I've had so many and people ask me, have you ever wanted to quit? I'm like, hell yeah, there have been days. But the thing is that I know now we've come too far. We cannot stop. We are going to finish this process, whatever that means for this company, in a way that's as financially successful as possible. I've had horrible days. I've had to let people go. I've had things not work out. I've had partners totally mess up our account. I've had money almost run out. I've had people out sick and I'm fulfilling orders and doing this and doing that. I've had really, really hard times and there is nothing that I was too proud to do. So when I started every single order, I was fulfilling. And I had my daughter at the time, who I think was 10 years old, helping me fulfill orders. Now, I know these are sexual wellness products. I had a conversation with her and I was like, look, or now they use they, them pronouns. But I said, 
I know that these are toys, but these are for adults. So you don't need to fulfill these, but you need to fulfill these. And so that's how we divided. We fulfilled out of my dining room. That's how we started. And then out of my garage. And then we got a small place. And now we have a warehouse and now we need a bigger warehouse. So it's like in the beginning, I did everything and there was no task that was too admin for me or too above me. Yes. Those early days of entrepreneurship are the things that make or break people, right? Because the shit is hard. There's the grind season. The hustle is real. How do you stay motivated when you're out here trying to build a business, be a mom, do all the things? Because overwhelm is a lifestyle. (laughs) Especially I think here, and you know what? There's a lot of mental health damage that happens to founders because of the high stress. The amount of stress that especially I would say founders of color are under unimaginable. And I've heard a lot of people like me say this, we cannot fail. There's a lot of people that have privilege that will say, fail fast, try things, spend the money, do the thing. And to some extent we can do that, but like this company can't fail. This company's not going to fail. And so I need to be really thoughtful with what we're doing. And I ask questions that people are like, oh, we've never gotten someone ask us for that before. We don't normally do that. So I'm not afraid to push boundaries. I'm not afraid to ask for what I think we should get. I've had investors laugh in my face and I'm just like, this is what it is. This is what we're doing. This is how we're doing it. And so I would just say in general, I have faith. This is what I'm supposed to be doing because this is my gift. I know that I can scale this type of a company. I'm not doing another type of a company. I can do this one. And I would say like the motivation for the balance, really, there's no such thing as balance. We just talked about this before we hopped on, but there's times when family needs all of me. We just had a passing in our family, unfortunately, and I was completely out. And I actually don't remember the last time I did that, but I knew that that had to be done for the balance. We needed to grieve. We were still healing. And I think there's times where I am here at my desk until midnight and I'm back at 5 a.m. Well, 5 a.m. to work out. And then here I sacrifice a lot. I have sacrificed a lot, almost too much, I would say. In the beginning, I sacrificed time with my kids and I missed birthdays and first days of school and things that I really should not have missed. But if you saw what was going on that day, I felt like I had no other choice. And so now when I can balance and I'm doing air quotes, I'm excited about it because for me, even though there is no such thing as balance, I took my daughter to school today. I'm going to take my other daughter to school. And it's just nice. I can create the life that I feel like we need at this stage, but it always changes. And then the last thing I'll say is my first genness being the first, having that weight on my shoulders, it is hard, but it's also very motivating. And when we talk about crowd equity, I cannot tell you how touching it is to read the notes of the people that have invested in this company, people I've never met or people who I don't know saying, Rebecca, I followed your story. I'm cheering you on. That means the world. And so being such a community fueled company, we've got to do this. I'm so grateful for you telling it what it is. There is no such thing as balance, y'all. And it ain't for the faint of heart. The journey to entrepreneurship, I think, is sold as something very sexy on social media and online in general. And it's a lot of sacrifice. It's a lot of questioning. Am I worthy of this? Can I do this? Am I qualified? And all those, what I found, and I'm sure you would agree, is that surrounding yourself with people who are also doing this helps you not feel so damn lonely because... A lot of people will not understand what you're going through. There's be like, you sound like you have very first world problems. Here you are being a CEO of a company. What the hell are you complaining about? Right. But it's not easy. 
It's not easy. Having founder friends, especially Latina and Black female founder friends, has been super helpful for me. We help each other. We're able to vent. We're able to get recommendations from each other. That's invaluable. So the networking, it's not just networking up to the investor, to the whatever, the peers, those are the people that are growing companies alongside you. That's been super helpful for me for sure. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about how you become an investor in Bloomy because growing up investor, that's a word that we didn't use. Those are people on CNBC. Those are people with trust funds. Those are white men in suits on wall street. How does one become an investor? Do I need to be a millionaire? Usually yes. Investing is how we build major wealth. And investing, whether that's in property, whether that's in a startup, whether that's in whatever it is, the reason that people are able to gain so much wealth is because of the value of equity, equity in a home, equity in a startup. And what has been amazing is thank you, Obama. He basically allowed a regular person to invest in a startup. You don't have to be an accredited investor, which means if you are able to be accredited, you have, I believe it's a million dollar in assets and make either two to 300,000, depending on your marriage status, a year. And I think for a lot of people, that's not attainable, right? And so if you can be accredited, great. But if you can't, now people can invest through crowd equity, which is when you can invest one to $200 or more, and you basically own a piece or a future piece of that startup. The way people can invest in Bloomy today is you can invest via WeFunder. There's a website, wefunder.com slash Bloomy, B-L-O-O-M-I. You go there, you read our story if you're not already hooked on our story and our growth trajectory, and you can basically learn about the startup click through all of the different pieces of our deck because this is what other investors are also viewing and you get to decide what you want to invest. There's also perks if you invest at certain levels and essentially you are time stepping an investment. And as we keep growing, you have now invested early. And so if there's, let's just say, an acquisition in the future or something that has a payout you would be an early stage investor in that company, in our company. And you can invest in other companies. I encourage people to go look at other companies on there too. Obviously, I would love for all of you to be part of our journey because I feel so confident in it. But I can share this with you. Like Startups are risky. A lot of startups don't make it. I feel like the way we're growing this company, we are trying to make it as safe and de-risked as possible. And when I and my husband have invested before, it has changed our lives. And so the lifestyle that I have, it's because of years of investing and the way that I'm building the company. I want to do that, but I want to do it where there are thousands of people that are benefiting from us growing, not just a couple of traditional investors at the top. Yeah, I think this is when it's important for you to do your due diligence as a potential investor. You want to understand who's the person you're investing in. What is this company doing? What's their track record? What's the team that's built around this? And all of those questions can be answered by reviewing the investor decks that you guys put together. Is there a way to personally reach out to you or your team to ask more questions about the company? Yes. Thank you for asking. So we are hosting investor nights, which means you can come and there's a webinar with me and my co-founder, Julie, and we're going through the pitch deck and we're answering questions on what it means to invest. So people are welcome to sign up for that. You can go to our Instagram and sign up via there. But if you just have a question, I am available. You can email me directly, Rebecca, R-E-B-E-C-C-A at thebloomy.com. 
I am making time for any investor questions during this phase. So for the next few weeks while we close this round, I'm taking all kinds of calls. I've had calls with people who've invested several hundred thousand. I've taken calls with people who invested a hundred dollars. To me, if you're an investor, you're an investor. So I'm excited to talk to people one-on-one. I love that energy. And I'm curious, what is the goal with this fundraising round? What does the next phase of Bloomy look like? Yes. This round is to help us go into the retailers that have reached out to us. So after we launched in Target, we had several retailers reach out to us, excited for us to carry the products with them. We wanted to take our time and be intentional because going into Target is no joke. We are going from this month, from 1,000 Target stores to over 1,500 Target stores. So we're being very thoughtful and careful because we don't want to have any more hiccups of operations or anything like that. So that's one. But really, this capital is to help us go into new retailers and scale. So we made, this is public, $3 million in the last 12 months. And if you look at the path in about four years, we should be at $69 million. That is the track. And 69 is a lucky number for me. <laughs> so, so that's the goal. And this is really the key milestone and the key resources we need to keep it going. Incredible. Okay, Rebecca, before I let you go, I'd love for you to share your best tip for a fellow founder out there who is in the weeds, in the struggle game right now. They do not see the light at the end of the tunnel. What's your best piece of advice? If you feel like you're struggling and there's just a lot going on, I would say take a step back and look at it all again at a higher view. What are the pain points and what can you do to get rid of those pain points? Because sometimes we're so in the weeds trying to fulfill the orders, trying to keep up with this very tedious task. I would say if there's something you can outsource that you yourself don't have to do, start there, free up a few hours a week and see how that starts to change it and really just keep that pattern going. I think now I have outsourced almost everything I don't need to do, almost, I would say. And that's how you do it. That's how you scale the company. You can't do everything. So just breathe, take a step back, outsource what you can. And the one piece of advice, I've shared this a few times, but I believe it, a few founders who have had billion-dollar exits told me that the only thing that got them to that point that you need to also replicate is not giving up. Just don't give up. Pivot make the changes. Don't be afraid to do certain things. Don't give up. If you just don't give up, it will keep going. That's it. Half of this battle is just outlasting everybody else. (laughs) And our grit, especially in founders like us, do not play with us. Unmatched. Okay. I firmly believe that Latinos in general have a genetic predisposition to by any means necessary. Like that's just how we're built. Oh my gosh, 100%. And it's because look at our narratives, our stories, our families, how we got here, what we're doing here, like grit. We've worked hard. And I will also argue there's sometimes we're working too hard, like physically being there isn't the right way necessarily, but it is a way. So I think there's a balance there. Absolutely. Okay. Let us know where we can find out more about Bloomy. Again, how we can invest. And we're going to make sure to link all of those resources in the episode show notes. You can find more about the company on our website, thebloomy.com, or at your local Target store. You just check the app to see if we're there. If you are interested in being an investor, go to WeFunder, 
com slash bloomy. And then if you want to follow me or follow that mom entrepreneur life, you can follow me on Instagram or my website, RebeccaAlvarezStory.com or Rebecca Alvarez Story is my handle. Amazing. And this fundraising period is throughout the month of March. So y'all time is of the essence. So if you have any questions, comments, you want to find out more, make sure to check out all the resources that we're going to link in the episode show notes. And Rebecca, from one fellow entrepreneur to another. I'm so freaking inspired by your story. I'm wishing you and your team so much success. Thank you for giving us unapologetic permission to talk about sex, to build companies, to be badass Latina entrepreneurs. I'm here for all of this energy. Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me. This was awesome. Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina, the ultimate blueprint for becoming poderosa with your dinero. This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start. That's YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated content constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.